when we are in the New Testament, how many of you are Jewish or have Jewish blood in you? I know there's a few of us that are in here that are Jewish. There are a couple of people that have <laughs> Jewish blood in us. My mother calls her, one half of her family Heinz 57, which means, you know, you have everything. So I believe there's a little bit of Jewish blood in me. That's the part that loves God, I think. The rest of it is, <laughs> but anyways, the, the rest of us were what we call Gentiles. And the kingdom of the New Testament is really God reaching out to the Gentiles, specifically, although the Jews have a part, which we'll talk about maybe much later. But the work that God has done in the New Testament is really to reach out to the Gentiles. And a lot of times we're told that we go to an altar one day, you know, we're, you know, maybe drug addicted and we're, you know, sleeping with three of our girlfriends and we have all kinds of problems in our lives. And then we come to the church, we pray a prayer one day and zippity-doo, everything is finished. Everything is, you're, you're perfectly la-di-da with God. And the objective that you have is to get to heaven when you die, when everything's going to be awesome, suck it up while you're down here, but at least you get to go to heaven when you die. That's really the, uh, you know, a lot of the religious marketing program comes out like that. But instead, what we need to understand is that the New Testament is all about us getting delivered from the bondage. That's the cross. Jesus paid the price for our sin, but for a very specific objective. He paid the price for our sin so that we could marry him. And that might be a little, it might, you say, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense to me. But did we actually understand that Jesus' objective, the way Jesus got us into the family of God, you know, Mike here is my son now, right? But, but that's got, you know, that's good side, that's got its good sides and its bad sides, BTW. You know, it's not, you know. But he didn't do that because he biologically came out of me. He married my daughter, and so he becomes part of my family. That's a normal, everybody says, yeah, that's how this goes, Right? Mike calls me Ian. Danielle calls me dad, which is, which is, you know, a bit more appropriate. He's a bit, you know. <laughs> and so, <laughs> just don't let Mike have the mic before the end of the day. That's all I need. But the key of it is that we clearly, we can, we can easily understand that that's how this goes. And Maybe we haven't translated that to the New Testament. The experience of the New Testament has, has really been this process where Jesus died. For, we were lost, blind, and we were covered in muck and filth, and we believed that, we were that it was a good thing to be covered in muck and filth. Then Jesus came, set us free, but he set us free so that we could see, so that we could begin to walk along the road a little bit to consider whether or not we would like to marry Jesus. Would we like to be in the family of God? Not everybody does. As if you're from the North American culture, you're probably goes, yeah, there's not a lot of people that do. When they have the option, do they choose it? And then once we become married, now it's a little bit weird because of the eschatology where exactly you are. You know, the, when we get raptured out of here, when we find the church finally leaves, we are going to the marriage supper of the lamb, the marriage supper, the, the, we call it a reception. And so somewhere in that process, we became the wife of God, Jesus. Now, because, you know, that's the other thing, you know, is Jesus God and God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God Jesus, all of these things, we can get them a little bit messed up. But as we talk through this, <clears throat> realize that the New Testament is all about this process of 
getting married to Jesus. And do we even want to do that? And so the, what we've started speaking about in sort of the, the mini chapter of this series is if that is the case, then we can look at what we understand, what all of us do. We've all been in relationships to some degree. We all know how things go in relationships, getting all the way from stranger to married. You may not be married yet, but you might know somebody who's been married. And so you kind of get how this goes. And I think that's the brilliance of when God gives us metaphors. He gives us them so that we can have common language, so that we can interact around a concept and go, okay, do you understand what I understand? Do I understand what you understand? And how does this all work? That's what God does it for, because his world is so freakishly larger than ours. You know, how many languages does God speak? Do you ever wonder? He could, he's way above what we, so what he tries to do is he comes down here and hangs out with us. When God talks to me, shockingly, he talks English. If your mother tongue is something else, he probably talks to you in another mother tongue. Because he can do that. But when he's talking about metaphors, he's doing that so that we could interact, we could understand. And then as we dig into the metaphor, then we can start understanding what the real thing is like. And that's the way God has done everything. And so when he says that, that, that in Ephesians chapter, let's just go there, Ephesians chapter 5, if you haven't been with me for the last little while, we can, uh, you know, just refresh a little bit, that uh, in 21, it says, submit yourselves one to, uh, wait a minute, uh, wives be subject to your husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Just think about that one for a moment and believe, decide whether you think that applies. Then in verse 26, what's his job? the husband's job, that he, or the, the, the would-be husband, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, the church, with the washing of the word, that he might present it, the church, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, and that it should be holy and without blemish. And then in verse 32, it says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And most of us, when we go to Ephesians chapter five, you might've heard it used before. But chances are you heard it used at a wedding ceremony or when I tell all the wives to submit to their husbands, one of those two times. <laughs> but it's really talking about a, a metaphorical, a mystery, <clears throat> a, a, a veiled thing, a hidden concept that God's relationship to us is like a marriage. And then what we can do, I think what we can all easily do, if we're willing to, and we can, we can, but we often won't, we can look at my relationship, for example, Tina and I at one time were strangers. We didn't know each other. I knew her sister first. We were friends from a, a, a Catholic organization back way, 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 way back a couple years ago. Um, <laughs> And so Tina and I, at one time, were, 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 were strangers. And we went through this process of going from being absolute strangers, didn't even know each other existed, to being married. And that was a process, and a process you're all pretty much familiar with, I'm sure. So then we can look at it and say, what can we learn about this, uh, that he might sanctify it, cleanse it, wash it, spot, no spots, no wrinkles, any such thing, to be holy, to be without blemish. These are all kind of things. Can we, we kind of get it. We kind of know what that kind of means. So that would mean that when Tina met Ian, 
definitely needed some of this without spot or wrinkle stuff going on in my life. And we decided whether we could, we could do that. Could we work it out so that we could come into alignment and slowly but surely going along that road, we made a decision one day to, to get married. Now, do we, this is the big question, I think, because we have learned religiously, maybe just from a history, maybe it wasn't told to us, but the part we got from it was that our job was to pray a prayer, be real super sorry for the things that we had done wrong, and then hang on for dear life until you get to go to heaven when you die. Uh, instead of understanding that this whole journey is a journey that is a, similar to my journey with Tina, that we would you know, meet each other, that we would kind of hang out together, that we would make some choices about whether we wanted to spend the rest of our lives together. And then, you know, how many of you know it didn't end with the I do? You know, there's still some stuff that we got to do, figure out after that. But do we even understand the New Testament in this context? There's this there's show that I watch. I've watched it several times. It's, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's a chick flick. And so... <laughs> How many of you have seen How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days? How many of you have ever seen that movie? All these guys' hands. Way to go hang with me, bros. I wasn't really watching. I was just there to, you know, be with some. There's, so if you remember the movie, it kind of starts off with this one girl who's really, you know, I guess really astute woman helping another of her friends with her dating issues and why she wasn't being successful in dating guys. And a lot of that, I think, we, we, you know, we, I'm not gonna recommend you go watch it, but let's say you do, and you look at it from the perspective of how do we do as we are getting in relationship with God? Because I think if we, if we cross over some of these ideas, it's gonna be pretty clear to us as we write our letters to Dear Abby because of our relationship issues with God, that there's actually pretty good answers to why do we struggle? Why don't we kind of, why doesn't this work better? After 2,000 years of being in this process, why doesn't it work better? Why aren't we better at having relationships? Why aren't we, particularly when we're dealing with God, why aren't we able to have a stronger, more, consistent relationship with God. Now, I'm not saying you don't, but let's say you don't. You know, you can't get mad at me. You know, I went to, I saw Dr. Pritula the other day, and I have this, this, can I be personal with you for a moment? Uh, you, you know, you have your pinky toe. Do y'all have a pinky toe? So I'm not weird. I just have a pinky toe. The next guy, when I wake up in the morning, right here under my foot is like I've got a knife in my foot. So, and it's been there since we did the R-O-O-F. <laughs> it's a four-letter word in this uh, church. <laughs> and so, so I said, so I was complaining to him, like, I've got this thing, and I just, you know, dup that up that up Every morning, I, you know, dup that up that up as I'm winding away to him. And he told me how to do a stretch, Super, a, a very, very, very stupid little stretch. And I was almost laughing at him. We were at the Mandarin. And so he's in the, we're in the foyer, this is terrible. We're in the foyer of the Mandarin, leaning up against the wall as he shows me this particular stretch that I have to do to pull the tendon that is going up from my little toe, up the back of my, over my heel, up the back of my leg, 
See, that one little tendon is what's making the pain underneath that one toe. Can I tell you something? I didn't feel bad. See, he wasn't saying I was a bad person. He wasn't saying God didn't love me. What he was telling me was, it seems like you might have a little bit of a problem here. Here's a really simple way to fix it. And I didn't get mad at him. Didn't leave his church. We didn't, I didn't call him a bad doctor. I didn't go Facebook about the guy who's got the tendon problem. I didn't do that. I appreciated that I took my situation to him and he had an answer. And shockingly, I will say on the camera in case he's watching, shockingly, it worked. And I don't have that pain in my toe anymore. Now, yes, yay. Say, praise God for Jesus and Dr. Pratula. When we have these moments and God begins to interact with us about these concepts, he's just giving us a diagnosis and he's giving us a solution, right? Like if you read the medical book and you see there's a problem in there and it gives you the answer to that problem, don't get mad at the medical book because it's judging you for being such a bad person. It's not. It's giving you the answer to a question that you may have or you may know someone who has. And that's what we're kind of doing here. I'm not telling you that you're a bad person. I'm just using these to say, can we identify ourselves well in the equation? And so my take on, you know, how to lose a guy in 10 days is they were always talking to her about what she did at the first date. And my, my rendering of that from a guy's perspective is if I was struggling and I told you that I had this really crusty booger in my nose during my date and I couldn't handle it. So I started digging around in there to find it. I couldn't find it, couldn't get a hold of it. So I asked my date if they would help me to kind of get a hold of it. Do you, how many of you know there may not be a second date? Why? Does that mean I can't ask Tina to help me with my boogers? No, I can do that now. I don't, thank goodness, on her behalf, but I could. But it's probably not a good idea that you do that on, how many of you would say that's probably not a good idea to do that on your first date? What are we, or ever, but yes, thank you, John. Yeah, don't create problems for yourself. That's kind of the thing for me. The key of it is to understand how many of you know there's a difference between what the conduct that is appropriate at your first date to conduct that is appropriate when you are uh, not, you know, just friends out for dinner. Not, you're not exclusive or anything like that. But then you become exclusive, boyfriend, girlfriend, and the dynamic of the relationship changes. And then you become husband and wife, and the dyna- dynamic changes again. Can you appreciate that if you were de- on your first date, you know, you go to Wendy's together, and you start talking like you have been married for 15 years to that person, how many of you know that could kind of create a little bit of a weird vibe? Couldn't it? But I think that's what we do. I think we're not really good at taking our relationship training and applying it to our relationship with God. Then we kind of get weirded out by his response to, you know, God, will you, you know, the title of of the teaching is, can I have the pin? being the pin number on his credit card. And we kind of go, we show up on our first date and say, can I have the pin number? And the answer is kind of remarkably, no. <laughs> and we get mad at God because the answer is no. 
Because I used to always ask God for the, the Lotterio numbers. You know, I said, God, six numbers, you know what they are. I know you know what they are. You know that I know that you know what they are. <laughs> like, can't you just give them to me? Set me up for life. You know, get me the three, the Powerball one, even better. See, he wouldn't give them to me. I got mad because I didn't understand. No, 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 we're just dating. And a lot of times, if Christians, if we as a group could understand, help each other to understand what are the dynamics of the zone or the stage of the relationship that we are in with the Lord. I think we would, one, be much more successful. As you can see from my, you know, how to lose a guy in 10 days example. You could be remarkably unsuccessful by doing just a few things inappropriately on your first date. Instead of understanding, I just, I, let me just accurately understand where I am. I'll really enjoy where I am. Dinner was awesome. God will pay. And then I can make a decision to opt into, would I like to have a second date? See, a lot of people don't want to have a second date. We know that because they come to the altar, they, they, they would pray and do all that, and we don't see them again. Because they didn't want a second date. They just wanted dinner. And so then there are some of us, probably all of you that are in here, likely, that you did want a second date. Matter of fact, you would like to know if God, if you could get married to God, if you could, then you would. And so understanding now, if you're willing to invest more into the relationship, let's try to understand from God's perspective, where are we and what's going on? And so you start off as a stranger and then you become acquaintances. And I'm going to do it kind of like a, what's my motive in this stage? And what do I, what's, what's my, what am I trying to accomplish? What's my future? See, when we're just strangers, we, we have no interaction with each other. There's no expectation, no motive. That's the guy who doesn't even look at you when he cuts you off on the way over the bridge, right? The guy doesn't, doesn't just no relationship to you. Then you become friends. What's going on during a time of friends? You know, we just take it or leave it. I don't, you know, if we, maybe we walk together for a little while and then we don't walk together anymore, whatever, it's just friends. And then we would elect, okay, out of that friendship, which we kind of talked about last time, is what does it work to, you know, go to on a date or out to dinner together or whatever and kind of check each other out and how's it going and be real proper and dressed up. Mike is perfect, shoes are perfect, everything is awesome. He holds the door open for you, treats you really nice, asks you if you'd like dessert. He does all that. Best foot forward, that's what I, BFF, right? Best foot forward. You know, girls should understand that's not the real guy. <laughs> Guys should understand that most of that is uh, makeup. You know, we should understand, that's what, it's okay, it's okay that it is, but do you know that it is? That's the key. And then we say, okay, we've been on the date, date went pretty well, he didn't pick his nose, he didn't do anything really, really, you know, deal breaker kind of stuff here. And so I decide I would like, after a little while, we decide that we're going to date. We're going to become exclusive. We're going to take the, the relationship to another level. What does that look like exactly? So if we decide to do that, which I think is most people who have decided to go to church, this is a, a commitment, right? right? Well, go, uh, go to church, meaning you're there Sundays and you're there Wednesdays, not Christmas and Easter. I'm talking about people who go to church all the time. We're really committed. I want to be with God regularly. You're my God, and we're, we're a couple. You know, we're, we're going to try and do this. What is the objective of that? What would I be trying to do in that zone so that I don't 
kind of do things. You know, it's, you know, God is not into friends with benefits. You know, there's really a season when there's a motive here. There's a responsibility. There's a thing that we're doing. What are we doing? And if we understood that, I think we would do better at it. And so realizing that we are stepping into another level. The first level kind of dating dinner was, the motive was to impress the other person. That's the, actually the job. It's the peacock with the feathers, right? It's my job. I want to, you know, when I took Tina out a couple times, you know, I wanted to impress her. I had it all going on. I showered, you know, it was a big deal back then. You do kind of things like that. You know, you put your hair back when, you know, before you did your hair, guys didn't do their hair back then, but, you know, we, uh, we did that, you know, whatever. Take her to a nice place. I wanted to impress her. You know, God does that with us. He gets us to the church and there's an evangelist here and God wants to show off with some power. Pa-boom, God does. Maybe a prophetic word, right? So he's got the evangelist and the prophet who are just gonna go show off. You know, the teacher or the pastor, you know, the apostle, you know, those aren't as important. They're kind of like, yeah, okay, you guys are awesome. But these guys can really show off God because he's trying to impress people. And he does a good job, right? When he had these power guys come in, you know, go to these crusades and that, you know, there's huge power there, you know, the wheelchairs are flying and, you know, prophetic words are going out and all of this is happening. It's like, woo, God's awesome. That's because he's trying to impress people. He's not necessarily going to do that tomorrow. It's not the relationship he wants to just, hey, be impressed. I got lots of money, be impressed. No, we're not talking about that. But right now, he wants to impress us. Yeah. But we get lost in that. How many of you know, if, can we get, can get lost in that? See, all I want really is to God impress me all the time. Instead of realizing that's not really what, we want, what he wants. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for more of a relationship. Come on. Become, we become exclusive. So we kind of looked at the, di- the dinner date and maybe a few more of those or however it worked. And we decided that there was some potential here, right? That's what you do in the natural, right? If you're thinking now, there's no potential here. I could not possibly live my life with this man for the rest. Of the day. Then you're out. You're supposed to be out because you don't want this. That's what we've done. We've kind of made a whole thing going on that we want a lot of people hanging around that don't want this. They don't want to be in relationship with God. They just, they need a miracle every now and again. That's cool. God give you a miracle. Just show up once a year. He'll get a milk for you. If he sees you on the side of the road with a flat tire, he'll help you. You don't need to go to the next level. I think that's the important part. Yeah. God's okay that you don't. God's okay that you end up in the after you die. He's okay. That, that's up to you. He's also okay with whatever level of relationship you want with him. He's just happy that you show up for church or, you know, once every 10 years. He's cool with that. He's not lonely. He, could, he says you could do better, but that's, that's good. So don't feel judged in all of this. Feel permission to do it, whatever you're looking for. If we could properly present God to people, how many would want to do this? That's really what we're looking for. And so if you, you see potential, you kind of hang out with God a little bit and you say, God, you know what? I'd like to get in a little deeper here. I'd like to kind of get to know you a little bit. And so that's kind of what you do in the next level, right? When we have, when people here, you know, you have young uh, dating, exclusive couples, whatever you call them. We should have a better word for it, but 
There's, they've been around here, you know, we have a lot of young people here, and so that's a process that they're in. And so what's the purpose? Because our world gets it all wrong about what you're doing when you're dating and why are you dating. And in that process, there's really two motives. The motive is I want to get to know the person. And this is where it becomes pretty problematic, especially the modern church experience. Because in order for me to get to know you, you kind of have to be you. <laughs> I know that seems like it would be self-evident, but we get it wrong a lot. Because if you want to get to know God and for God to get to know you, it, you, there's a bit of transparency that goes on here, right? There's a little no makeup. There's a little, what do you look like when you wake up in the morning? Uh, you know, what do you smell like when you wake up in the morning? You know, a lot of that that has to go on for you to get to know that person. Not to say that you should get to know them what they look like first thing in the morning. Let's go backward on that. <laughs> but just the ability to be real with who you really are. Very good. Because when we are real when we are getting to know the real person and do I expect God can be the real God, the whole thing? Or do I need God still to show up with miracle after miracle after miracle? I get myself in trouble, God bails me out. I get myself in trouble, God bails me out. That's all I'm looking for. Or do you want God to be real? Do you want God to go, yeah, you fell down four times. Do you ever think about why you do that? Oh, you offend me, God, you're judging me. No, 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 no. See, is God, is, God, is God allowed to be real? In the relationship, are you, allow, are you prepared to be real? Right? There's a lot of people, we do this wrong in our culture. We hide who we really are until after the I do. You know, you married Prince Charming, you go home with the beast. We shouldn't do that. We should allow this process, same with our interaction with God, we should allow this process to be you know, a very open and revealing time in our relationship with him. The, the, uh, the, the problem I think that we have dealt with is, you probably have already thought about this, is that that sounds super messy. See, it doesn't work in our typical church environments because too messy. It's got too many, too many wild cards, too many people being too real for me, all those kind of things that that's not conducive to it. You really have to create an environment that is, you know, good for people to just be themselves. You know, I'd, I would rather you be a real sinner than a fake holy person. At, at, in this stage. See, the other stage is I don't want you to do that. I want you to take advantage of this stage right here and just be real. Be real with what you think about things. Be real about what your opinion is. Be real about who you actually are. And then that way, at least, God has the opportunity to interact with you around who you are. If you're a selfish self, you know, a person who is highly committed to their own self-interest, be that. Openly. You'll find out why in a minute. Don't you want that? If, if your child was dating somebody who was a completely fake person, wouldn't you be concerned that your child should at least get to know who the real person really is? Be honest, who are you? Isn't that true? 
And so when we are looking at our relationship with God, wouldn't you say that we should be really gut honest with who we are? The reason being is that God, uh, let me digress. How much time do I have? It's 11.07? I got lots of time. There's one radical difference between my relationship with God and my relationship with Tina. And it is a very difficult one for humans to deal with. Come on up here, Mike. Uh, actually, come on up here, Tina, because you'll, you'll be better. No, 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 I'm, I'm not going to embarrass you on your, on your anniversary day. Let's go for another 35 years. Okay. <laughs> when Tina and I met, we were very radically different people. The ability that we had, now you just take a step towards me, and I take a step towards you. As we come closer together, I take a step towards Tina. Tina takes a step. I take a step. Oops. Tina takes a step. That's how it worked. And then we finally got to the middle. Now, it could happen. Go back there a bit. That we are, let's say, you're not Tina. You're somebody else. And so, I, you know, I take a step towards you. And I say, you know, come on, take a step. And then I take another step towards you. And then you go, ooh, yeah, no, I'm not willing to take that next step. This happens all the time, right? You go back a bit. I go, you know, I like to, back in our day, you know, we used to race sailboats. And so I said, okay, let's race sailboats. And so you go, sure, because you didn't race sailboats, but you enjoyed it. So there you go. You took a step and we enjoyed common things together, right? Now, if I would have said at that time, let's move to Tibet and live in a cave, Now, that's, that's, of course, it's funny, but she's the right to do that, right? right? She's going to say, yeah, mm, anybody, you know, let's go. There's six billion or three billion other boys out there. I think I might go and kiss a few more frogs to see whether I'm going to get, you know, and that's what this journey is. Right. We're compromising, right? And we try to figure out in all of our, you know, I was going to do this, you're going to do this, I was going to do this, you're going to do this, you're like this, I'm like this, I like that you do it. And we figure out if we can actually make it to the distance or does it break and we go in the middle. And then the relationship kind of flows away and we go try somebody else. Normal. Radical, thank you. Radical difference to God. There's this thing about God it's kind of weird, but God doesn't change. Actually, God can't. That's radically not awesome for us because we're looking for the compromised relationship. Right. So I go to church, so you change a little to come my way. See, I want to be a little bit selfish, so I'd like God to be a little bit selfish too. And think about things. So, and I have a problem. I'd like him to answer it in a way that will benefit me. He's not going to do that. I take another step towards God. I say, well, maybe he forgot. So I say, okay, I'll take one more step closer to God. God still cannot change. So the whole compromise thing of this layer, this level, where we're used to doing it on a human level and we both kind of figure out, does Tina give a little? Does Ian give a little? Does Tina give a little? Does Ian give a little? Does Tina give a little? Does Ian give? And we kind of move into the middle where we can work out our relationships. That is not the way it works with God. Our relationship through this time, this dating exclusive, I'm going to get to know him and he's going to get to know me. 
is all about, am I willing to change to become the person that wants to be married to God? Because everybody wants to be married to almighty, all-powerful, ever-loving, solves every problem you ever have, God. There is no human being that does not want to get married to that person. How many people want to be married to the person that says, I'm going to make your life a living sacrifice? (laughs) Your life is going to be poured out as a drink offering for the benefit of other people. They will not like you for that. Matter of fact, they will despise you. And then you'll die and go to heaven. A lot of people don't want that. They maybe do want it. They maybe aspire to it. But are they willing to take the journey that really says that is actually what I would like to do? Do you see what's happening here? As I am getting to know God, you know, God is, human beings are highly committed to their own self-interests. Especially our culture. Never has been, been a culture like our culture. Can I tell you that God is 0% committed to his own self-interest? He's 100% committed to the life of other people. When, he, you, when you get to know that and you're going, these are the things God wants to do as we are in marriage together. Because it's like, The two become one flesh in marriage. God's desire is for him to use you, your life, as a complete sacrifice on this planet. How many of you say, yeah, yeah, that's a little different than the first guy? And I would say, you may not want that. You certainly don't want that at the beginning of the journey because you came to God because you wanted God to take care of you. You wanted to take care of you. God wanted to take care of you, so it worked perfectly. Now God wants to change you into a person who's take, through, who, through whom he can take care of other people because he's completely committed to taking care of other people. That changes the dynamic, right? If it's, I'm going to get married to somebody who we're going to go and you know, get a house on the beach and live happily ever after... That's different than getting married to somebody who's going to sell everything they have and move to outer regions of Nowheresville and live their life for some cannibal tribe who may kill us the first day we arrive. See, God would be okay with that. They did kill Jesus, by the way, the first day he arrived, in God's mind. That first couple seconds, actually. And he was okay with that. That's the problem. Do you see what the problem is here? When we start to actually try to get to know God and for God to actually get to know, well, he knows us, but now we know that he knows us when we kind of do zippity-doo right in front of him. We can see that there's now a problem in the, in the equation. Most people, this is now Christian people who I know, they try to, they want to get along in the relationship a little while and God gives them permission to stop the relationship at any point, right? Where Tina, like with Tina, I was going to move to Tibet, remember? And Tina goes, love you, bro. I'm out. God lets us do that. We have complete autonomy over the relationship. Most people, they kind of come along, and I'm just diagnosing the pain in your foot. I'm not telling you you're a bad person. I'm just telling you that most people can move along this relationship a while 
and then they stop. And they determine that that's as far as the relationship is going to go. You know, that's enough. Because God keeps using us whenever he can to, for our lives to be a blessing to somebody else. Because that's his mentality. He's not worried about you. He's got you. There's nothing in your life that you have to be afraid of or worry about. God is completely in control. You're never going to encounter anything that you are not well able to overcome inside of that situation. So he's not worried about you. He's just concerned. Now, let's, let's take a look at this. God is not testing you. God is simply giving you the opportunity to know what it's going to look like if you get married to God. Which is fair, right? That's what you want. You want in this stage to know what is it really going to look like to spend the rest of my life with Tina. That's what the season was. God is saying, I'm bringing you along here to see whether you would really like to do what I am interested in doing. And most people, and maybe because we didn't understand, because I'm, I'm way in all of this, struggling, struggling, struggling to figure all this out for years, decades, because I didn't understand. This is what God is doing. He's trying to get you to in, you know, in the process of obedience, God is always, you know, God, I go to God, God, give me a hundred bucks. And he goes, give away the 10 you have. And I go, is there anybody else there I can talk to, you know, because I didn't understand what he was doing. And so by obeying God and moving through these paces, we begin to change, realizing that we're becoming a different person. We're learning a different principle By learning that different principle, we are becoming more and more like the person who would actually like to be married to God because you're mostly not like that in the beginning. Does this make sense to some of you? And God is okay that we go, we date for a while and then we go, nah, we still go to the same church, love each other and all that, but we're not exclusive. We're not, we're not going, the relationship, I'm not interested in this. I just want to be here. Cool. I just want to come Christmas and Easter. That's good. God says, okay. Now, we're not talking about whether you're saved or not. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about whether we are really willing to go and keep the relationship going until we get to the place where we're actually married together. Let me try and just in my last 30 seconds here. Let me just... that do that next time okay uh okay in in second corinthians chapter six and this is why this will help you to make a a lot of context to how this works second corinthians chapter six and go to verse 14 there now all of you know this scripture because we use it regularly in our human relationships and we say Do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. How many of you know that it's it's very likely that God takes his own advice? And so when God is dealing with this develop our development of the church, spot or wrinkle, going along this process, 
that God is really trying for us to get us to the place where we are equally yoked with him. You notice that it says, do not be equally yoked with someone of a different ethnic background. That's how we interpreted it for a long time. You know, white people weren't allowed to marry black people and all kinds of stuff was a sin. That's not true. That's not what this says. This says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, can I, that's, can I remember with God, he doesn't say there's people who believe one thing, there's people who believe another thing, and there's people who believe what God believes. He doesn't say that. He says there's people who believe what I believe, and everybody else, right? He says four plus seven is 11. Now there's a whole bunch of other people that say it's other things, but he groups them all into people who do not believe that four plus seven is 11. Does that, does that make some sense? The reason I'm saying that is because God is saying, do not be unequally yoked with somebody who does not believe like God believes. When we are going into a relationship, do you think Tina and I should pretty much believe the same things? Not everything, but we pretty much are on the same path, of course. That's how God treats us. This season, this dating journey is when we work all that out. And it gives us the opportunity to have a look at, do I really believe like God believes? Because when we get into this covenant time, it's not like we're arguing against each other, me and God. That doesn't happen. It happen our modern relationships are different. Husband and wives argue all the time. That's not biblical order, and I'm not being misogynistic here, but to understand this correctly, we don't use our modern marriage environment. The traditional marriage environment was that the instructions come from the head. I'm purposely not looking at Tina right now, right? That, and can I say this? Oh gosh. This doesn't preach well in our culture because it's seen as though I'm, you know, I'm a guy and I'm a husband and uh, so I'm self-interested in being always the boss, right? And so I'm gonna tell all of you men to be, you know, the, the man of the house and, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that. As humans, we have to work it out different, how it works. In this season of dating, do you discover that you are comfortable with taking instructions from God? I'm going to suggest Guys don't do that well because we're used to being the bosses. Girls don't do that well for the same reason. The, we don't handle this dynamic well. And so we don't easily get through the process of, I am super comfortable with God being the boss and calling all the shots. Uh, yeah, no. I'm super comfortable by being part of the discussion and if it works out in my personal interest then I'm very interested in going ahead with what God is saying. Much more like that. Matthew chapter eight, this is, and this is why I, you know, I'm, I didn't want to teach this stuff. If we are going to understand this process of dating, 
we have to be willing to accept that God is trying to see. Because he is immovable, right? I, I, I liken it to, uh, you know, when, it, when an immovable object hits an unstoppable force, what happens? Because we have been trained as individuals, highly committed to our self-interest. So we are an unwilling to give that up. That is the very last thing I am willing to give up is my ability to determine my own destiny. And so when we encounter the immovable object, which is God who cannot change, all we do in this dating season is fight. Instead of understanding that God is trying to bring us as the willing bride, the willing bride, not the dutiful religious person, the willing bride that is ready to step into a relationship with her husband in a way that we are so comfortable that he's going to call all the shots. Hello? And so, there we are. When we are in this season dating each other, what is the real thing we're trying to do? We're trying to get to know the other person. Because we're trying to determine, can I trust you? Isn't that true? That's what's all that's going on here. And if you get to the, whatever that magic line is, where you say, finally, I can, we're going to do this. Maybe I have trust issues. Or maybe I'm untrustable, which is actually the same thing. And so you go through and you realize, I, don't, I can't do this. We call these commitment issues in our culture. Because we can't trust well, easily. We go along in these relationships, but we cannot trust. We don't build relationships well based on trust because we don't trust anybody. And God is saying, if you're going to do this with me, this is all about learning to trust me. Know me, God is saying. I'm not just the guy that's there on the Friday night date. I'm also this guy that wants to get something done. Also this guy that loves other people so desperately I can't sleep at night. That's who I am too, God says. And do we, as we're going along that journey of him, you know, we, we do things and do this and you fall down and why'd you fall down? Did he let me go or does he need me to learn how to get up? I don't know how this is all going and I'm figuring it all out. Can I really trust God? Has he been faithful to me? Is he willing to sacrifice for me? Has he been loyal to me? Has he been, you know, available to me? All of these things that we use in our natural relationships to determine whether you are a trustable person or not. That's what God's doing in all this stuff. But I don't think we all always understand that. And so when I fall down, I get mad at God. Instead of realizing uh, he, was there, he was the guy that helped me up. When a blessing came in my life, I took credit for it because I'm awesome. <laughs> when something didn't happen awesome, I blamed somebody else. Right? I didn't learn. And you see, when we, when we can understand that's what's going on here, 
I'm just being the real me to see whether I really like this thing like being like God. Do I really want to be like God? And I think if we would understand that journey, we wouldn't be so easily duped up in the process. If I just understood that that's what was going on from God's perspective, like I do in a regular relationship, I think we would do way better. Because in fact, we would like to be like him. We probably think he's pretty awesome. But being like him sometimes can scare the pants off us. But that's okay. Say, put your hand over your heart. Say, Lord, I'm ready for this. You're making it so clear for me to understand how desperately you love me and how you want to be married to me. But only if I want to be married to you. And so you reveal yourself to me and are willing to see me, warts and all. No, don't say that. <laughs> say the good, the bad, and the ugly. And give me the opportunity to decide, do I want to be married? And so, Lord, with all my heart, I want to understand. I want to be more like you. I want to be the spotless bride, to be holy, to be without blemish, no wrinkles and spots. I really want to be that person who desires you, whose heart burns for you. So Holy Spirit, help me on this journey. I'm taking the next step. I'm willing to be willing. I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to grow. I'm willing to grow. I really want to be like you. I really want to be like you. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray your life was impacted by the service and that you were able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, or you've known about him but have been far from him. We want to give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross so that you and I could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. So if you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then repeat the simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and have been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Lord and Savior. Help me believe in you and love you every day. Help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you just made to have Jesus as the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey, but most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we'd love to send you uh, with some easy steps on how to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. 
If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you soon.